instead of scolding people whenever he said repent, he was inviting them to come into the kingdom. And they couldn't come into the kingdom going the way they were going. They had to turn around. And so repentance means to turn around and come back to God. It's not a bad thing to do. And the thing is, you know, when Martin Luther opened the, opened the Reformation by nailing the 95 theses on the door of the castle uh, church in Wittenberg, Germany, the very first, the very first of the theses said, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, on the surface, that sounds kind of bleak if we're looking at repentance in the wrong way. He seems to be saying that Christians will never make much progress in this life. And that, of course, wasn't what Luther meant at all. He was saying that repentance is the way that we make progress in the Christian life. Just, uh, it's, it's very Methodist, whatever you stop and think about it. One of the big things that we uh, have inherited from our founder, John Wesley, was the concept of spiritual growth, of moving on toward perfection. And, uh, and that is one of the things that we should be shooting for, is to be perfected in love of God and love of man. And I think that it's so neat this year that uh, we have the uh, Ash Wednesday time taking place at Valentine's Day. Because Valentine's Day is talking about, it's, it's, about, it's about showing people that they're special. And you know, that's what Ash Wednesday's about. You know, we're, we remember the first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so as we gather here, we need to be thinking this evening, are we making ourselves a valentine to God? Are we expressing our love to him by not wanting to dishonor him, and not wanting to disappoint him. Much of what I'm going to share tonight, I want you to know, uh, I, I gained from uh, uh, Tim Keller, uh, who's one of my favorite preachers. And so a lot of what you hear this evening came from him. I want to give him credit for a lot of these ideas that I'm sharing tonight. But uh, just uh, think about this. It does look bleak. He was saying that repentance uh, is the way that we make progress in the Christian life, and it is. We, uh, we, we, we go so far. With me, it's like one project at a time. The Lord will say, okay, you need to work on this. And it's not because I'm so bad. It's because he has goodness in store for me. And as long as I have this particular thing in my life, I'm not going to experience all of his goodness. And I'm not going to reflect Jesus as I should. And so I have to repent. 
I have to turn around from whatever it is. If it's an idol, if it's a habit, no matter what it is that's keeping me from moving on with him to another level, then uh, I need to prayerfully work through it with him. And I think I've shared with you how I really thought when I got my last external, what I considered vice out of the way, and that was smoking, I thought, oh man, Lord, I can really be something now, right? He said, wrong. He said, wrong. We're just getting started. Those external things, that's nothing. How do you even look at other people? How do you think about other people? I care much more about how you relate to other people than these little external things that you've been all been out of shape about. And so we began a much deeper journey than I ever thought I would be going on. But we move on to perfection. And every time he skims some of the dross off and throws it aside, and we think maybe we're going to die from losing something, we discover what we've gained is more life. And so uh, he calls us and his call to repentance is not necessarily, it is a call to death from the worldly standpoint, but it's a call to life eternally and a call to life in him. And so uh, just I want you to know that the gospel totally transforms what repentance is all about. You see, there's religious repentance, and then there is that repentance that comes from the light of the gospel. And that's what I want to go over for you more than anything else tonight. It transforms repentance. In religion, the purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so that he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers, right? Uh, this means that religious repentance is selfish, isn't it? When you stop and think about it, it's self-righteous and it is bitter all the way down to the bottom. In the gospel, when we look at it in the light of the gospel, however, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Jesus to weaken our impulse to do anything contrary to God's heart. <coughs> In religion, we're sorry for sin uh, only because of its consequences for us. Sin's going to bring punishment, and we all want to avoid that, and so we repent. The gospel tells us that as Christians, sin doesn't ultimately bring us into condemnation. For it says uh, in Romans 8, 1, that uh, if we're in Christ, uh, that uh, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's heinousness, therefore, heinousness. The heinousness of sin is what it does to God. It displeases him and it dishonors him. <clears throat> so in religion, repentance is self-centered, while from the light of the gospel, it is God-centered. In religion, we're mainly sorry for the consequences of sin, but in the gospel, we're sorry 
for the sin itself. Do you see the difference? As we move on, religious repentance is self-righteous. Repentance can easily turn into an attempt to atone for one's sin. Uh, a form of self-punishment which we con- with, with, with which we hope we're going to be able to convince God and ourselves that we are so truly miserable and regretful that we deserve to be forgiven. In the gospel, however, we know that Jesus suffered for our sin. We don't have to make ourselves suffer in order to merit God's forgiveness. We simply have to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has already made for us uh, to, to be available on the cross. God forgives us because he is just. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that, uh, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Uh, no, that's, that's Romans 8, 1. Let me find that real quick. I want to make sure I get it right. In 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've often wondered, where is the justice in that? How does that enter into forgiveness? And I'll tell you how. This is what happens. You see, the truly sinless man took it upon himself to die in your place. And God deemed that a full and perfect and sufficient sacrifice for your sins. You can't add anything to it. And for him to deny your forgiveness that his son paid the price for, do you see that would be unjust when you're looking at it from the standpoint of God's justice. So he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a remarkable statement. It would be unjust for God to ever deny us forgiveness because Jesus has already earned our acceptance. In religion, we try to earn our forgiveness with our repentance. In the gospel, we simply receive it. Lastly, religious repentance is bitter all the way down. In religion, our only hope is to live a life good enough to require God to bless us. You ever thought about that? Isn't that a ridiculous thing? But isn't that what we do? We were hoping to live a life good enough to require God to bless us. Every instance of sin and repentance is therefore traumatic for us. It's unnatural. It's horribly threatening because it's only, and if you'll stop and think, it's only under great pressure that you can get a really religious individual to admit that they have sinned because their only hope is their moral goodness, isn't it? And I've had people tell me that they have never sinned. 
But whenever I started going through some of the things that are sins, you know, they said, oh, I guess I did those. They were thinking they never killed anybody, you know, but uh, they, they, anyway. So in the, in the light of the gospel, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit that we're flawed because we know we won't uh, be cast off if we confess the true depths of our sinfulness. All we're going to be doing is exposing the depth of God's grace and how wonderful he is. Our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so it's not as traumatic to admit our weaknesses and our lapses, do you see? Whereas in religion, we repent less and less often. The more we feel accepted and loved in the gospel, the more and more often we're, we'll find ourselves repenting. If you find yourself getting on to yourself more and more, it's because you're growing spiritually and you're starting to see things in God's eyes. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Do you see? Although there is some bitterness with any repentance in the gospel, there's ultimately a sweetness. This creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. The more we see our own flaws and sins, the more precious, the more electrifying and the more amazing God's grace appears to us. That's why it took a repentant slaver to write amazing grace. <coughs> On the other hand, the more we aware we are of uh, God's grace and our acceptance in Christ, the more we're able to drop our denials and our self-defenses and admit the true dimensions of our sin and just how deep they go. The sin underlying all other sins is a lack of joy in Christ. If you clearly understand these two different ways to go about repentance, the religious way and the gospel way, then and only then you can profit greatly from a regular and exacting uh, discipline of self-examination and repentance, and you will actually be pulled into it by God himself. You know, uh, John Wesley and uh, uh, George Whitfield were good friends, and, John, and George Whitfield uh, made it his practice to uh, end each evening by examining himself. He wrote once, this prayer, which was kind of his self-reflecting prayer. God, give me a deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye, and then let men or devils do their worst. I love that. I want to just kind of pick that apart just real quickly. First of all, deep humility. Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I felt snubbed and ignored? Then this is how you should repent. Consider the free grace and the deep grace of our Lord Jesus 
until you sense, first of all, a decreasing disdain, since you're a sinner too, and a decreasing pain over criticism, since I shouldn't value human approval over God's love anyway. In light of his grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It's too great a burden and it's now unnecessary. I reflect on the free grace until I experience grateful, restful joy. Next, wise courage as opposed to anxiety. Ask yourself this question. Have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? This is sometimes where it gets hard for me. Uh, have I been anxious and worried? Have I failed to be responsible or have I been rash and impulsive? If so, this is how you should repent and how we should repent. Consider just how deep Jesus' grace really is until, first of all, no cowardly avoidance of hard things uh, takes place since Jesus faced evil for me. And second, no anxious or rash behavior since Jesus' death proves that God cares and will watch over me. It takes pride to be anxious. And I recognize that I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. I reflect on the free grace until I experience calm thoughtfulness and strategic boldness. Lastly, burning love. Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? I'm going to repeat that one. Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by mocking someone else in my mind? Have I been impatient and irritable? Have I been self-absorbed, absorbed, indifferent, uh, and inattentive to people? If you have, then repent like this. Consider the depth of Jesus' grace until there is first no coldness or unkindness as I think of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for me. Next, no impatience as I think of his patience with me. And lastly, no indifference as I think of how God is infinitely attentive to me. As I reflect on this free grace, I will ultimately show warmth and affection. One more, godly motivations, a single eye, I think he says. Am I doing what I do for God's glory and the good of others? Or am I being driven by fears, need for approval, love of comfort and ease, need for control, hunger for acclaim and power? or the fear of other people? Am I looking at anyone with envy? Am I giving in to even the first tendencies of lust or gluttony? Am I spending my time on urgent things rather than important things because of these desires? If so, repent like this.
Consider how the free grace of God provides me with what I am looking for in these other things. Pray, O Lord Jesus, make me happy enough in you to avoid sin and wise enough in you to avoid danger, that I may always do what is right in your sight. In your name I pray, amen. You see, repentance isn't a horrible thing. Confession isn't a bad thing. These are things God already knows what you've done, and he knows what is between you and him, and he knows that you know too. And so when he says repent, he's saying, come home, come home. I'm here. Quit going that way. Come this way. I'm waiting for you. Just like that father that was looking for the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to himself. You see, he repented and he came home. That's what Ash Wednesday is all about. Examining ourselves, finding out those areas where we're still running and trying to hide from God confessing them, letting them go, and letting God love on us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.